Welcome back from your break. If you're joining us via the live stream, thank you for st staying on. Please open in your scriptures to the book of Colossians, which is found in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's page 1102 in my copy of the scriptures, but I imagine yours is different. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, the frame that you're looking through, if you're online, has a link called Bible Gateway. You can click onto that and look up Colossians, put it in the search engine, and we're going to begin reading in just a moment from verse 15 through verse 23 of Colossians chapter 1. If you're here in the sanctuary, the scripture will be projected uh, behind me as well, um, and you can follow along that way. This is God's word. May he give us more grace to hear him speak to us through it. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these stunning verses with its phrases that highlight and both draw our attention to and focus our hearts on the supremacy and the preeminence and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in everything. We pray, Lord, by your spirit, Jesus, you would be 
and continue to be the core, the center of our lives. And that both together through our reflection on it and while we are apart, Lord, as we go about our everyday routines, Lord, you would help us to give Jesus the first place for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This being my first message from our summer series on Colossians, I thought I would give you an illustration to begin with that explains why we're looking at this letter. We've never done a series on the book of Colossians. We've done individual messages from it. As you've probably noted already, if you're familiar with Paul's letters. This is one of the smaller letters. It's only four chapters long, but it contains some of the most stunning and stirring, Christ-exalting descriptions in all of Scripture, and therefore for me it's one of my favorite books or letters from Paul's entire catalog. So why study, read, reflect, and apply Colossians this summer? Well, let me offer this. This past week, the, I believe it's called the James Webb Telescope unveiled its first photos of the unseen aspects of our universe. If you are a news Hound like me, you know, beginning Monday and then again on Tuesday and then throughout the week, these pictures of our galaxy were being highlighted by NASA. And what has made it particularly uh, stirring and exhilarating to look at is that the high resolution images, some of which you're seeing projected behind me, taken as they are by infrared. Uh, technology is bringing to our attention visuals of galaxies that were up to this point invisible to us. Now I can't name, nor am I a astronomer to catalog the images we're seeing, but I did, I did look into a couple of facts about the telescope itself that is taking these pictures. This telescope will replace in time the Hubble telescope, which maybe you've heard of, which allows NASA to look at objects too distant, too dim, too far for the Hubble to pick up. It's named after James Webb, who was the head of NASA during the Apollo missions, where we landed a, a man on the moon during the 1960s. It took 20 years to design, create, and ultimately launch this, 20 years at a cost of $10 billion. Thankfully, NASA didn't simply send the bill to the American people, but engaged a number of partners, international groups as well, but it was still very expensive. And it orbits the sun, earth, some, 930,000 miles beyond our orbit around. So it's out there. I read an article by one of the astronomers who helped design it, and he said in Bauer words, 
this telescope works really, really well. <laughs> and we can now see deeper into the universe than we've ever seen before. And he, he believes we will discover the unexpected. Now, I know some of you are saying, there's nothing that surprises me about these pictures because the first two minutes of Frank Capra's classic, It's a Wonderful Life, actually focused on one of the star clusters that this new telescope has captured. If you've ever watched It's a Wonderful Life, which is a Christmas classic for many families I know, the 1946 movie about George Bailey. The opening two minutes has angels, this is not great theology, obviously, listening to prayers being offered for George Bailey, and it's, it's four clusters of stars that represent a, a distinct, do you remember that scene? Yeah. So if nothing else, when you watch It's a Wonderful Life this December, you're going to think of Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is why. Paul, sent by, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, the opening verses of the letter says he's an apostle, so he's a messenger of the risen, ascended Christ, has given to the Colossians and to us through him, because it's inscripturated, a telescope, if you will, to see what can't be seen, but here becomes not only visible, but really dazzling in its presentation of Christ. Colossians makes the invisible God visible through describing for us the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there were a passage in all of Colossians that piles up phrase by phrase, sentence after sentence. Why Christ deserves to be the focus of our lives. Why Christ deserves to be the core of a church's ministry. Why Christ deserves to be at the center and retain first place in everything. It's this book. So that's my hope for us as we go through this book. This book, even more so than John's gospel, presents such a comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ. Now, not only its exalted language, but in its practical relevance, particularly in the last two chapters of the book, that this summer series will benefit us. Not only that, but it reminds us that living with Jesus at the core, at the center of our life as a church, of our lives individually, and, our, and, 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 and as our lives as Christians in this world of ours, is the primary battleground that we're experiencing today in 2022. So I'm excited to go through this with you and like you be not only shaped by it, but encounter Christ together through it. Here's my main point this morning. As Christians, we are called to keep Christ at the center of our lives. And in our passage this morning, there is good news throughout these verses that enable us to do that. As Christians, we are called to keep Christ at the center of our lives. 
And this morning we're going to look at three key ideas very simply, and I'll walk through it efficiently in the time that remains. Christ's supremacy, Christ's preeminence, and Christ's unique work of reconciliation. And we'll go through this together. These are words taken actually from the passage itself. Christ's supremacy, Christ's preeminence, and Christ's unique work of reconciliation, which like a telescope focuses us on our call to give Jesus the first place in everything in our lives. Let's look at the verses again together that we just read, beginning in verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of The English word image draws from, in the original text, a word that means icon or image or representation. That's why we see that in our English Bibles. And it literally means that Christ presents a portrait to us of the God that cannot be seen. Scripture is very clear. God is spirit and therefore invisible. But Christ, the image of the invisible God, has made him known. It also says that he is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born, although he was born a man in the manger, but it means that in the story of our salvation and the story of redemption, which includes not only us, but the renewal and restoration of all creation, he is the climax of the history of creation when he entered our world as a human being to be born to Mary. He was the starting point, the firstborn of this new beginning. It says then that for by him, speaking of Christ, verse 16, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him or by him. That is, everything was created according to Paul's letter to the Colossians in reference to him. And all things, it says, were made through him, the last part of verse 16. And so that means that Christ in this passage is not only the purpose to which everything that has been created points to, but he is the agent, if you will, the means by which God created all things. God spoke and it came into being through Christ. Those are startling and staggering and arresting statements about Christ. Finally, it concludes, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So that means he's the Lord of creation, 
and he is the Lord of redemption, which we read about at the, the end of this paragraph. And therefore, the highest honor belongs to him because Christ is supreme in everything in creation. Christ is completely supreme. He's not only the climax of what creation was intended for, but he is supreme over all of it. Not only do we look at and read about Christ's supremacy, but beginning in verse 18, we hear about Christ's preeminence, particularly in the church. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, there's the word, preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So as you know, if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, and as I learned as a, as a Christian, that the church of Jesus Christ which began on the day of Pentecost, if you will, a new creation, born through Christ's exaltation at the right hand of God when the Spirit was sent, people were converted through the ministry of the apostles in the gospel, and a new entity, a new creation was created, the church. Christ is the Lord over the church, and when we become a Christian believer, we become a part of that new creation, that body of believers, and Scripture speaks of that often. So when we read that he is the beginning, the first form from the dead in verse 18, in the context of the head of the body of the church, it means that he is first in rank. It means he is to have the first place in honor. It's certainly an inference to his resurrection, but it points to he is preeminent. I was the firstborn in my family. Some of you were the firstborn in your family. And as my sisters will remind me when I'm with them in three weeks in Maine at our annual family reunion, it was I, I've told this story before, it was I who my mom one evening, without their permission, took pork chops off of their plate and placed it on my plate because there weren't enough pork chops to feed the family and they got, I don't know, macaroni and cheese or coffee cakes that night. I don't know what they got, but she literally in front of them took meat off of their plate to give it to Starving Bower. And she said to them, when asked why they would do that, he's the firstborn. I'm not making that up. I'm not sure about some of the other details, but I know she said that. And she has reminded them of that. He's the firstborn. Where did that idea come from, that the firstborn gets particular honor? Well, whether it came from here or not, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish teaching, if you are the firstborn, it is considered a distinction of honor. So when Paul, both Jewish and now a Christian and an apostle to a non-Jewish culture, in this case the Colossians, says 
he is the firstborn from the dead. It's not only saying that he's the firstborn of the age of the resurrection, but he is the firstborn and should receive preeminence as the head of the church. He's preeminent, not only because he's raised and ascended, but because he is the most important of all in the story of salvation. Well, what should that mean to us as we transition to a point of application? What should that mean to me? Well, I think first that Christ's supremacy in creation and Christ's preeminence in the church is and is intended to be, as it was for them, a guardrail and a protection from error. When there's error in Christianity, when there's error or drift in the church, it has as its root that Christ, as Scripture reveals him, is no longer preeminent. He's no longer supreme, both in his person and his work and in his purpose, someone or something else. I've shared this story uh, with the guys. I'll share it with you. I don't know the church, um, and I don't care to know, but I'm well, it's well known that I'm a pastor uh, at the school that, um, in whose classroom I occupy. And uh, a fellow believer came up to me uh, one day. I probably saw me walk in the hall with my cup of coffee. I'm sort of ubiquitous with coffee and walking in the hall. Uh, very excited to tell me what the sermon was in their uh, church setting. And I... You know, I don't even know what church it is. I wasn't even aware this person was a believer, but she knows I'm a pastor. And, and so I'm sipping coffee. I'm like, well, tell me. And the person said, my pastor said, we, word for word, are the champions of our story. I said, oh. Say that again. We, meaning you and me, are the champions of our story. Now, I didn't get to hear the whole sermon. Maybe he or she is quoting out of context. But scripture's very clear, friend. You and I are not the champions of our story. Can we say amen? Whether there's 5,000 of us or five of us, scripture's unapologetically clear. Christ is either the champion of your story and mine because of his grace and mercy in bringing us into a relationship with God, the loving Father, and through the Spirit sealing us into that relationship or we're not reading our Bibles very carefully. So I'll follow up with that person and hopefully be able to encourage them in a more Jesus-centered. But Colossians reminds us that Jesus' supremacy and his preeminence keeps us from error. But it also reminds us of this, that when I'm reading these verses and I'm working through this letter, is that keeping Jesus at the center, keeping him preeminent, making sure that his fame and his name and his glory is supreme in my life is a daily battle every day. I read this illustration. I think it will be helpful to you. It helped me I've never ridden a snowmobile, and I know it's July, and so a snowmobile illustration seems out of 
context. But apparently when you ride a snowmobile, um, your snowmobile is to have a rear view mirror. Lynn and I were just talking about riding a bicycle and how the roads sometimes in I ride a bike uh, can be dangerous, and if I had a rear-view mirror, I wouldn't have to look behind me and see if a car is coming, could you ride with traffic? But I know with snowmobiles, you're supposed to have a rear-view mirror. And the instructor, when he pointed this out to one of his students, was given this reason. The student said to the instructor, if I have a rear-view mirror, I may be distracted from what's in front of me. And so I removed my rear view mirror on my snowmobile in order to stay focused on what's in front of me. Christ to be supreme in our lives, Christ to be preeminent in our lives, doesn't call us to ignore our past or deny our past, but clearly if we're to be drawn upward in our worship and daily devotions to him, we need to stay focused on him and not be looking behind us or distracted by what is in back of us. We're to keep our eyes on our leader. Last illustration. Linda was cleaning the downstairs playroom and she found on the floor the dreaded Play-Doh. And when Play-Doh gets on the floor, do you know what little people do with Play-Doh? I love Play-Doh. I don't get to play with it very often, but I love play They like to kind of mash it into the rug so that it doesn't come up when you vacuum the Play-Doh. So I like Play-Doh on a table. I've even stuck Play-Doh in my mouth when I was younger. That's probably not good. But Play-Doh doesn't do well on the floor. Colossians keeps us, through what's revealed here, from creating a Plato-Christ-like figure based on what we want Jesus to say and do. And instead says, no, Christ is like this. And when we do that, we find by God's grace that God is intent on both impressing us with Christ's supremacy as well as reminding us of his preeminence in order to deepen our desire to keep him as first place in everything you do. I want you to think about that this week as we seek together to give him first place by simply saying this, As I cut my lawn today, my lawn needs to be cut. How can I ensure that Christ would be preeminent when I'm pushing a lawnmower? This is how. Does this happen to you? When I'm cutting my lawn, I sometimes have bad attitudes about what my neighbor's doing with his or her lawn. And whether or not the dog that is on their lawn is leaving little packages on my lawn. And I have these weird thoughts like, I'm going to build a higher fence. Or I've got to say something terse to my neighbor because of the way he's taking or not taking care of his dog or his lawn and all these things. And this whole conversation, it's nonverbal, although Linda does see me talking to myself when I cut the lawn, is a simple reminder. Is Christ really first place 
when I'm plotting revenge on my neighbor because of their lawn care. No, he's not. When I get in the car, when I'm in line at the store, when I'm working with colleagues that tell me we are the champion of our story, <laughs> when I'm in life group this week, and not that this would happen, but Rob and I are sharing and he disagrees with what I say and I can give him that you know, cracked up look like, what do you mean, I'm always right. There's a hundred examples. It's in that moment, if Christ is to be first place, supreme and preeminent, I have to work it into the everyday routine. It doesn't mean I'm a monk or conducting monastic life. And don't, it's just that in my everyday routines, we, we see that Colossians is trying to impress upon us, even dazzle us with Christ's glory so that we will say, Lord, help me that you might be preeminent in everything. Cross, I feel like you do that well. This is not a corrective message. Firstness has marked us from our beginning. And this letter is not a corrective letter. It is rich with encouragement, but it does call us to take account, doesn't it? In order to do that, we need to give God through his word the final word. Last section. Perhaps the most important section, beginning in verse 19 to the end of the paragraph. We've looked at Christ's supremacy in creation, and in the, we've looked at his preeminence in the church, and now we're going to look at his work of reconciliation. Big word, it's in the passage. Paul will tell us what it means. Beginning in verse 19, for in him, note the language, all the fullness of God, here's the word, was pleased to dwell. We know that from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word God. Verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Who did it please that Christ would be full? The Father. It pleases the Father that in Christ the fullness, the image of God would dwell. Why? So that through Him, verse 20, he could reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was God the Father's pleasure that Christ, the sent forth one, the one and only unique Son of God, the one in whom creation was, was made and the one in whom the church is to recognize his preeminent. It was his pleasure that in his fullness to reconcile you and I and all who look to Christ through the blood of his cross. But it's not just us. It talks about heaven and earth would be reconciled to God through Christ. All things would be reconciled to. You hear the echo of a, another of Paul's letters, Romans 8, where it speaks of creation longing for the revealing of the sons of God, how creation was subjected to futility with the, with the fall and sin of, of humanity as it waits to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God when, when the story of salvation is consummated in a new heaven and a new earth 
We read that in Romans 8, 19 to 22. So Christ's unique work of reconciliation then is described in more detail in light of humanity's terrible condition. And you, speaking of the Colossians, but included would be us, who once were alienated and hostile in our mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It pleased God to reconcile people who were alienated, meaning separated and hostile towards God and his kingdom, his rule, doing evil deeds. It please God through Christ to reconcile us to him through the blood of his cross. And so when we believe the gospel, when we heard the message for the first time and received it by faith, when we were told that Christ, the the son of God, died in our place, rose again, defeating death and sin, receiving in our place our due condemnation, It pleases God to reconcile us to himself, we who were once alienated and hostile. In order, here's the purpose of our reconciliation, to present us holy and blameless, verse 22, and above reproach before him. God's reconciling purpose was to present us before him on that last day, complete, perfect in Christ blameless. Without reconciliation, we remain adrift from God, alienated from Him, objects of His judgment. But through faith in Christ and His work on our behalf, we are now able to receive the grace of God in order to be presented holy and blameless above Him before reproach. But Paul says, here is the call. If you continue, if you continue, verse 23, in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So as Christians, we not only have received when we were converted the gospel of reconciliation and been forgiven of our sins, and through the gift of Christ's Merit and righteousness declared righteous before him, but God continues, it says, to work in our lives in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, to close the gap between how we live life and what we will be declared on that final day as perfect and complete and holy. And Paul says the key is if we continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope that we have. In the original, it's actually an encouragement to the Colossians, as Paul states it, because literally it says, at any rate, I am sure you will stand firm in the faith just as you are not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So how do we apply that? And I conclude with this, how do we apply this 
rich passage to put Christ first in our lives and to do so in a way that makes him supreme and preeminent and keeps his precious work of reconciliation at the core of every day. Well, I think, and I did a satisfactory job, but not a sufficient job. Paul is working very hard to dazzle the Colossians with Christ. Meaning if he is going to be preeminent in their affections, he has to command their attention in a way that isn't simply to-dos. This is what you're expected to do. Yesterday, Jacqueline took me on one of Abby's hikes. I nearly died in the process. One of those 4,000 peaks. Getting up, there's one thing, getting down. What's the number for that helicopter? It's going to get me down from here. You get to the top, and even these people whose grandparents hike these mountains, they stop. They linger. We were looking at a dozen or more of these peaks, and it's dazzling. You don't say anything, although I had to talk because I need to talk all the time. People just stare and wonder, and it's beautiful. They're dazzled by creation. But I find that during the week, that there are a lot of other dazzling images, dazzling messages, dazzling noises in my life that start to diminish Christ. Doesn't take him out of the picture, but he just, he sort of put to the sideline. I read the news. I read it, I wanna know what's going on. And I need interpretation of the news, so I'll listen to an interpreter of the news. And they are dazzled by what they're hearing, reading. And before I know, like half my day has been spent. And I love sports. Oh, I love sports. And I just find more sports to love. Right? I'm in the golf right now. I mean, who's in the golf? That's like for old people like me, I guess. I mean, British Open's going on. I'm dazzled. And then it ends entertainment news. Did you know Bruce Springsteen is coming back next year and reuniting the E Street Band? And that's the band I grew up with. I'm dazzled, following it. I got to read more. I got to hear more. And then I get a ping on Instagram or something else, you know, that someone's doing something and it's amazing and I'm dazzled. And And then I open my Bible and I read these verses from Paul and I'm having a hard time getting excited, getting jazzed. And I'm like, Maybe I'll go back to the British Open. That got me excited, adrenaline flow. It's not that those things in themselves are wrong, but when the net effect of that is that Christ's beauty and glory and supremacy and whatever words we're begins to diminish, you and I are not keeping Christ in the first place. And so we have to work at it. It takes effort. It takes effort for me too. In these everyday ways, when I come to church, what I'm so thankful for is whether it's in singing or preaching or down children's ministry and conversation, this church works to make Christ beautiful, his grace glorious, his mercy unending, and his holiness indisputable. Otherwise, there's no 
reason for the cross. But his reconciliation, the Father takes pleasure in reconciling us him so that we can be dazzled by him. So friend, I'm not telling you to stop doing something. I'm asking you, what can you put on this week? I listen to a song called Gyra. And I don't, that's not necessarily my, my rhythm. But by the end of that song, watching those people sing it, they were dazzled by Jesus as their Gyra. I'll listen to a sermon by someone who's Christ-centered and exposits scripture. And I'm listening, not just for content, I'm listening. Is he excited about the one he's talking about? I'll go to life group, and I wanna hear what God's doing, but I'm listening, because I need to be fed by it. God put a smile on your face this week because he revealed to you your need for Jesus Christ. And it's not just happy times, happy tunes, happy thoughts. You can be, as Patty reminded us, inspired by the church reminded us, you can be in a place of affliction and you cry out to the Lord and he hears you. I try to call Linda from these hikes. Verizon won't pick up my signal. But I'm in a place of affliction and I say, Jesus, and he hears me. That's dazzling. Why? Because Christ has reconciled me to him. He's not far. That's dazzling. Does that dazzle you? I hope it does. Let's be dazzled by him. And lastly, we can be dazzled by him when we just talk to him throughout the day. Just talk to him. I'll be talking to him when I'm cutting the lawn so I don't get angry at my neighbor. I'll be talking to him when I'm listening to Linda because I don't want to listen. I want her to listen to me while we're walking later today. I'll be talking to him when I even have the British Open and just saying, Lord, as exciting as it is to see Rory win this thing, there is something more exciting in the universe today. It's you. It's what we talked about in church. So that's why we're doing Colossians. If James Webb's telescope gives us a clear picture of the universe, Colossians invites you and I to get a clear picture of Christ this summer. Which of Christ's glorious attributes and features came into greater focus for you this morning. How could you this week you take more time to, to give attention to that? What is God calling you to do in response to what you now see? When I'm on top of those mountains in New Hampshire, I'm dazzled by what I see, but I'm also aware of what I'm being called to do is I got to get down on this mountain without breaking my leg. But when he reveals Christ to me, he's calling me upward, isn't he? He's focusing my attention, riveting it again on him. And it's usually to encourage my faith that I not shift, but remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel. If Jesus' death on the cross and triumphant resurrection is the basis of your peace between you and God, where did you see Christ at work in your life this week to, to continue that work of of making you blameless, steadfast, hopeful in him. And if keeping Christ at the center of your life is your battle every day as it is mine, not only what steps can you make this week, but this, is written, this letter is written to a church. How can those in your church, those in your family who know the Lord, encourage you 
in putting Christ first, in remaining steadfast? And what's your, what's your biggest obstacle right now? How can we pray for you in that? As Christians, we're called to keep Christ at the center of our lives. Thanks be to God that not only was his pleasure to reconcile us to himself through faith, but as Paul said to the Colossians, he was confident that they would continue in the faith, not shifting because of his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Lord, as we conclude this, our second week in Colossians, we're thankful for these these verses as they pile up phrase upon phrase, detailing the beauty and the centrality of Christ. And Lord, if we were honest and we had a moment to reflect, there have been those times in our own lives where your beauty and your centrality and your preeminence has broken through and it's made all the difference in what we face and how we love others and how we live in a daily way, giving you first place. So help us, Lord, as we begin this series this summer. Lead us in that upward exaltation of you, even as in the everyday activities and routines. We talk to you about everything, and through your scripture, Lord, remain steadfast in our faith in you. Thanks be to God for your word and for your grace this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand.